Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And Sid, tell me if I'm, if I'm uh, off base here, but as this uh, coronavirus situation continues to unfold, uh, we didn't think it made sense to every week in, week out, sort of give you what you're already obsessively reading on your phone 19 hours a day. I assume. I am. I assume everyone else is. Sure. So we uh, thought that we could do some episodes that might provide a little additional context a little background, a little history, because as they say, history is the roadmap by which the lines of the future are drawn by navigators. Do they say that? As they say. That's a lot that they say. It is, so it's that weird it, that that caught on as a saying, <laughs> considering how kind of convoluted and verbose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm as surprised as anybody. I mean... Congrats to Isaac Newton. I don't know how that quote hang in there, hung in there so long, but congrats to you, sir. I wanted to do some topics that would be true to the spirit of our of our show, medical history. You know, exploring medical history and how did we come up with things and all the mistakes we made, but were adjacent to I think the relevant issues of today mm-hmm. because they're on everyone's mind, and it, it felt disingenuous to just pretend like it's not happening. But at the same time, I know that a lot of people like to listen to podcast to escape a little bit so uh i thought we would start with the history of of medical masks of surgical masks and the n95 mask and um then obviously we can talk a little bit at the end about what that means for healthcare workers today but uh but let's let's delve back into the past let's go hop in the sawbones time machine a new trademark that i've just invented uh before people began wearing masks they had to accept that they needed one which doesn't seem like a huge hurdle except as we know if, if you listen they're, to our show they're all huge hurdles <laughs> we uh we had to understand really the the idea that there were germs that spread disease that could be uh expelled through your mouth right right so or like- nose and, Somewhere on your face. And that, so it sort of started, like, and we've covered this a little bit, but, like, this idea of, like, protecting yourself from bad air, right? That's true. That's, if you if you look prior to, I mean, really, the history, we're, as we get into the history of the mask itself, it's late 1800s, early 1900s is the birth of the, of the mask. Prior to that, if you did wear some sort of facial covering, for a med- quote unquote medical reason, it would be because of the miasma theory of disease. The idea that 
bad air, some sort of bad smell, something like that carries disease with it, and you might inhale it right. and get sick yourself. So you have a mask that would sort of filter the bad air. Exactly. Sometimes with like a sachet of potpourri. Yes. Now you were talking about plague times, the, yeah. the big beak masks that held the little, yes, yeah, something good smelling. Actually, you know, it's funny. You could either put something good smelling in the nose to like repel the bad smells, or you could put something bad smelling that would also repel other, like it was so much worse. Given the choice. There are many ways to repel yeah, bad I'm air. I'm fully going to go the first one though. If I'm going to smell it all day, I think I definitely would want to go. I would say the potpourri one out yeah. for most people. Uh, there were also, prior to that, there were like some suggestions of masks from like Plenty the Elder, mm. our friend Plenty the Elder. Uh, who wrote Natural History about, you know, everything. N- everything natural. The history of all natural all things. Nat- the whole yes. natural world as I understand it. <laughs> he advised that if you needed to wear a mask, and again, this would have been a very sort of non-specific use case. Like, if you need one for whatever you might, we don't know why you need them, but if you did, he recommended animal bladders mm. as, a, as a good material to use. I don't know enough about animal bladders to know if that would be a good pick or not. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not going to try. Yeah. I mean, I get, I guess. guess. Maybe. I don't know. know. Let's not. We don't need, we don't need to go to there. No matter how desperate things are, animal bladders are low on the list of suggested alternative materials. Uh, Da Vinci advised using a wet cloth Mm -hmm. for protection, like protect your face. That was actually a bad idea. The wet, wet is bad. As we'll get into, wet masks are not great masks. Da Vinci doesn't get up into the mix a lot on Sawbones. I I always had to imagine that if you look into the history of mask wearing, there's a lot of overlap between medical and occupational type hazards. Like, Mm. are you trying to prevent some sort of disease state or are you trying to prevent a noxious inhalation injury of some sort? Like, you know, whether you're um, doing art of some sort or in, you know, your work as a miner or in certain kinds of factories, that kind of thing. So like you get a lot of crossover. But I'm assuming it's a different, very different sort of uh, filtering that you need. Not really. Really? No. No, the the N95 mask that we'll talk a lot about at the end of the show and that you've heard a lot about probably in the news uh, is used in occupational hazards like to prevent inhalation of of substances uh, just like it is in the medical world yeah uh but the the first kind of concept of like the masks as we know them today and and wearing them for the reasons we wear them today really starts in the late 1800s uh with a german bacteriologist um who actually helped create the field of of hygienics he was one of the early like you know keeping things clean and keeping ourselves clean and preventing disease is a field unto itself and should be respected and studied and you know taught uh carl fluge who Mm, that's a good one yeah fluge fluge uh who demonstrated that you could spread infectious particles you know germs as we Mm. were beginning to understand them uh through tiny little droplets in the secretions from your nose and mouth Mm -hmm. that you couldn't see So the idea that, like, not just coughing or sneezing, which we kind of, I mean, you know, right? Because, like, it's wet. Right. (laughs) You know, if you cough and stuff flies out of your mouth, okay, if you sneeze, it's wet. So you assume there's something there. So the idea that there were germs in that wasn't too wild to accept. But just talking, 
you expel, you know, minute secretions when you talk. It's like just now occurring to me. That it's just now occurring to you? Not not kidding. I never really thought of it. I just mm-hmm. always sort of thought it was through like spit. It is just now occurring to me. You're just you can you can be I mean obviously the amount like the number I get and like wet sneezes I get, but I just assumed it was through like droplets. Well they're 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 minute like microscopic respiratory droplets that are being expelled when you talk. They're microscopic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, I'm just I really am growing a lot as a person. <laughs> His uh his work uh focused largely on tuberculosis and he talked about the idea that tuberculosis could be spread by these invisible droplets that he called fluge droplets. Yeah, of course that he did. Apparently didn't stick. Unfortunately, you right? Know, like wouldn't I, that have been Carl, maybe just let that one go by. You don't even <laughs> you got your fluge droplets all over me for the rest of the time. That's your like on the germ spit like the microscopic germ spit that's my thing that's mm-hmm. my jam Fluge droplets Fluge i'd take droplets. it i'd take it if they were called sydney droplets ew ew it's no, bad never mind it's the first name made it weird yeah the first name made but then mcelroy droplets and it's like you get to own it so i want to own it like smurl droplets you have equal credit to to mcelroy <laughs> i, can oh, I came late to the name yeah fair anyway so he he began advocating for masks because of this understanding he began you know, not just of tuberculosis, but specifically of that, and then other illnesses could be spread this way. Um, and the initial masks that he started advising people to wear, and the other physicians kind of took up and, and agreed with, were basically just like you know those rolls of gauze, yeah, just that stretched across your face a couple times, like wrapped around your whole head, or like. Well, I mean, it was that material, okay, and you could hold it in place however you wanted to, but sure. yeah, you could just wrap it around your head. That's how mummies got started. And eventually, they're like, this doesn't seem like enough. I should keep going. No, but. Uh, do, 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 for, <laughs> fast forward. Mummy. Mummied. Just, just some. And they weren't very common at this point, too. You got to know. This was like the very beginnings of a, a handful of people wearing these things and everybody else going, <laughs> okay. It's whatever. It's one of the hardest things is like so often people doing the right thing throughout history. The first people doing the right thing look to- totally bonkers. Yes. And it's like, I don't know, how do you tell the difference between that and regular bunkers? Well, I just don't know. And and I mean, we're, we're talking about wearing masks at a time where we still haven't, like Lister hasn't done his thing yet. Right. So like the whole idea of like a sterile field in surgery has not been introduced. Um, gloves are not a thing yet. So yeah, th- this, this is a radical idea. Um, someone who we have not, I don't think we've talked about on the show before is Dr. Alice Hamilton. Uh, and I've now... Sometimes when I'm doing research, I get sidetracked by somebody Mm. and I just end up reading everything about them. And then I think, well, this is a whole other episode. And so Dr. Alice Hamilton, for for good reasons, not for Sawbones reasons, (laughs) (laughs) for good reasons, is deserving of her own episode of Sawbones. Um, But uh, so at some point I'll do that. But anyway, she she built upon this research and we'll get into she was an amazing figure in early occupational health and is partially responsible for OSHA and is, it was an amazing person. Um, but she built on this research and showed that uh, scarlet fever could also be spread by what she called invisible sputum. And she 
further showed that the number of or showed that that if nurses wore masks while caring for patients with scarlet fever, um, that you could reduce the number of people who would also get sick because that was a common problem is that you'd be attendants to the ill would be caring for them. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't really understand exactly or we were just beginning to understand how disease was spread, they would get sick mm-hmm. or they would carry it over to some other patient who didn't have scarlet fever to begin with, but now also would have that. And so just wearing these masks, they cut down on the rate of, you know, nurses and attendants to the sick that, that got sick themselves. Um, they, uh, she also advocated, she was one of the first to advocate for surgeons wearing masks while they're in the operating room. Yeah, because they got people open and you don't want to get stuff in there for sure. Right. And again, she was talking about not just like coughing and sneezing because that seemed obvious. Like, well, I'll just turn my head. I won't sneeze right. in the patient. I won't sneeze into the patient. <laughs> but I may be a surgeon, but even I. A common surgeon. But she just talking. <laughs> just talking, she she pointed out. No, but you're talking in the OR and yeah. you're talking, you're you're spreading these respiratory droplets into the patient. And it, it's funny because in some of her studies, like she actually counted, like, do you know how many words the average surgeon even says in surgery and how much they're talking while they're doing this? And which is sort of like a subtle burn, I feel like, yeah. on surgeons. Like, do you know how much you talk in the OR? <laughs> But you do. I mean, you're in there a long time. You do talk. And of course, you know, where I work, it's teaching hospital. Everybody's talking and asking questions and explaining things. So masks became a recommendation in the OR because of that. Um, And as uh, as more as more people began to kind of accept the idea that maybe masks were important, they began to see like, okay, we could use them in the operating room. That's a good thing. Um, we can use it. Nurses can wear them. That could be good. And, and doctors, anybody who's in close contact taking care of patients to avoid getting sick could wear them. And then Dr. George Weaver in Chicago in 1918 showed that um, not only could you put masks on medical personnel, but you could reduce the uh, risk of diphtheria if you could also put masks um, on the patients. Oh, yeah. That makes so, more sense. So you, so you began to, to say like, hey, we could, and we've heard that here with now with COVID, right? Like the idea of putting masks on the patients. Right. So he did, an, he talked about like reducing the risk of diphtheria among the nurses and among the other patients. Um, and then... Building on that, Joseph Capps said the same thing for members of the military. This was during World War One. now, and he's caring for a lot of sick people, right. in a, you know, mil- members of the military who okay. all have different things and are in one room kind of together. Sure, right. And he observed that cross-contamination was a big problem. Like, this person would come in with smallpox, this person would come in with scarlet fever, this person had meningitis, and then they'd all get the same things. Right, right, right. So put masks on the patients. So now we have built on like is doctors, com- nurses, common- patients, everybody could wear masks. Is that common to do? I feel like you don't see it a lot in, in but it's only through, you know, TV and movies or whatever. But I guess you got actor. to put masks on the patients. Like, yeah. Does that happen a lot in actual hospital? No, no, we don't. Unless they're leaving the room sometimes. Mm. Like if they're having to go down for an x-ray or some sort of study like that, then they put masks on when they leave the room. But most of the time when the patients, because I mean, we're talking about a hospital where like you're right next to the like the patients are all right next to each other sure so now we can if the patient each has their own room and the people coming in the room are using appropriate p 
PPE, right. personal protective equipment, then you shouldn't have to worry so much about that. that. Makes sense. But in a large military hospital where, you know, the beds may be pretty close together and everybody's talking to each other, right. way more important. Um, it, it's also worth noting, Dr. Weaver was also, he started to talk about the importance of cleaning and sterilizing the masks mm-hmm. if you're going to use them again. And we understand at this point germs and stuff. Right? Yes. Yeah, we, we, are, we are into the early 1900s where we have... We've begun to understand the germ theory of disease. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and also about uh, the fact that wet masks don't work. Why is that? They just absorb. Like the, the ability of them to uh, capture particles is reduced because mm. they've uh, because of the liquid that's been absorbed there. Oh, weird. Yeah. Physics. <laughs> um, so now, like I said, now we have this idea that nurses and attendants and doctors and now the patients themselves could all wear masks and they were showing greatly reduced numbers of infection among all parties because of this Mm -hmm. um and then the question began to turn to okay so we we know that masks can work but is it what kind of mask is there a good mask yes because we're still just using rolls of gauze basically at this point and so then the question is like well we could probably improve on this this was this was used out of it is what we had right um, so maybe there's, there's a certain mask that's better. So the initial studies were just comparing like coarse gauze to medium gauze. So what they call butter cloth, mm. not like, not like your shirts, but like, <laughs> but like a very, um, a very close knit gauze. Okay. Right. Um, and they would, the way that they would test the masks is they would get volunteers to rinse their mouths with a bacterial solution. So like, just like swish and spit this solution of serratia is the kind of bacteria in case you're interested. Uh, And then they would have them put a mask on and they would lay out like auger dishes, Petri dishes on a table in front of them. Mm -hmm. And then they would talk with the mask on of the different substances. Talk to the Petri dishes. Yes. And they could talk and they would have three different trials. Talk softly with the mask on, talk <laughs> loudly with the mask on, and then cough with the mask on to the Petri dishes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what what it showed is that the closer the mesh, the fewer bacteria that we're able to get through. Okay. Um, whether you were talking softly, loudly, or coughing. It doesn't matter if you shout at the dishes. Petri dishes. <laughs> you can shout at the Petri dishes all day, but if it's close enough mesh... Yeah, the bacteria fine. can't get through. And again, they proved that the wet mask wasn't helpful. And uh, this was around the same time. By now, we're moving into like Lister's developed sterile technique and Halstead made gloves and people started wearing gloves. And alongside of this, it just became commonplace. If you were going to work in an operating room, you should wear a mask. And the standard, was, you know, first it was the surgeon, then it was all the attendants, and then it was you know what, if you walk in that operating room... You should probably get protected from these bad germs. (laughs) Um, They tried to find... Like I said, they knew a close mesh was better. Mm -hmm. They continued to try to build upon that. They they did, like, for a while, like, a deflection mask, which was, like, completely impenetrable and then had these, like, wings on the side to, like, force the expelled whatever back behind you. It's a little intense. Kind of a, uh, I don't know, Dr. Fate. (laughs) helmet deal uh but it rocketeer looking what they found is that like while that might change the direction of the of the expelled 
germs. Uh-huh. It does not. It does not reduce the number of expelled germs that are collecting in the operating room as a whole. Like you could still swab around the operating room and find bacterial colonies growing. Yeah. So while this was maybe a step forward, it was not. We were not quite at the place where we had the the best mask. Right. Yet. Yet. How do we get to the best mask? Well, I'm going to tell you that, Justin. But before we do that. Let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the Easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. What are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com sawbones 50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. All right, Sydney, walk me down the road to the best math. Where do we begin? We begin with a uh, an outbreak of plague and a Chinese physician named Lian Te Wu, who was called in by the Chinese Imperial Court to help 
deal with this new outbreak of plague. It was different than the plague that we had been used to in history. Different than like the bubonic plague. It was faster. It was more deadly. People got very sick very quickly. Um, it was an outbreak in northern China. And they weren't quite sure how to deal with it. What to do about it. Uh, and he realized pretty quickly, he, he was called in to examine these patients and evaluate them and try to figure out what was going on. And he, the common theory at the time was that this must be sp- spread by fleas. Okay. Right? Like the plague is sure. known to, to do. Uh, but he said, I think this is airborne. I think that there's, there's this coming from patient to patient. I think they're expelling it to each other. This is like a, a pneumonic form of mm-hmm. the plague, a lung form of the plague. And he... Because he had this theory, he decided, well, if I'm going to examine these patients, I need protection for myself. I don't want to I don't want to inhale this and get sick, too. So he took the gauze masks that people were using and he actually layered them with like cotton to filter out more material. Oh, smart. And so he built these new masks that he would wear um, to help protect himself. And it took a while when he first proposed this method of transmission and this mask to wear a lot of people were like whatever no, Seems like this is ridiculous um and, and a lot of the reaction too was very racist from physicians throughout especially the western world like i don't even know we're not going to wear that silly mask because it was a lot bulkier it was a lot bigger than the masks that they were used mm-hmm. to and they're like no we're not going to do this um but it was put to the test when a famous french physician dr mesny decided he was going to prove this new doctor wrong this young doctor wrong Ah. by going and examining the patients himself without a mask on to show that there's no danger and it's totally fine certainly a better way of doing that and then 48 hours later he died wow that's a lot of germs he got huh that is what is recorded. Perhaps it was not quite that fast. One way or another, he did get sick. And it was just the two of them. Away. So Lian Tae Wu got to report. Like, oh, no, it was about 48 hours. It was, it was, 48 hours. It was wild. And then anyway, after, I'm fine. After that, people believed it. And that was the mask that as we went through all these years of like operating room masks and surgical masks, it was quickly the mask that took over from the gauze mask, uh, the cloth masks, the deflection masks that I described, all these different masks just did not outperform this filtered, you know, layered gauze cotton mask uh, that that soon became kind of like synonymous with physicians. Like, especially if, if you look back to like the Spanish flu days, there's so many. I, I, somebody pointed out that the picture of somebody wearing one of those masks in a black and white picture in a newspaper was so photogenic that they thought that was part of why it caught on so quickly because it's that white, big white rectangle across your face that would show up so well in these pictures. And those are just, you can find tons of them of medical professionals wearing these masks. And so everybody wore these masks. And anyway, this was the type of mask that was the standard in medical care for a very long time until really we get to the tuberculosis outbreaks, um, the multi-drug resistant tuberculosis outbreaks of mainly the 1990s. Wow, really? Yeah. Um, after HIV became you know, more commonplace, we saw more patients than we had before that with tuberculosis and specifically with strains of tuberculosis that were resistant to a lot of different medications. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, the, the standard gauze you know, cotton 
mask, the surgical mask, right. I should say. At this point, we're just calling it the surgical, surgical mask. mask. The surgical mask was not enough to protect you from tuberculosis. Is the surgical mask like what Lian Te Wu created? Yes, it was. It, well, it is, it is not identical, is, but it's built off that. I think this is like really thin, though. It is. It is pretty thin. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yes, because now we have the technology to do the same thing he did without multiple layers. Ah, of, right. Yeah. Okay. But same sense. idea, like a filtering mask. Right. Um, but not a respirator. This is not a, what we would call a respirator, um, which is where we get into the N95 mask. So for tuberculosis, we needed better masks. This These surgical masks were not going to cut it. And so really, at this point, you see the medical community, community kind of turn to specifically like the mining industry mm. um, into like the industrial world to look for something better for healthcare workers to wear. Um, the original respirators, because it, it was not, it was not too long into mining that people started to figure out that you got sick right for mining i mean even if we didn't know what black lung was co-workers pneumoconiosis we knew that people got sick when they did certain jobs right, right um not just mining but all kinds of occupations where you will inhale things that that can be damaging and so the initial um respirators that they would have people wear were these like big giant bulky like I, I saw somebody say, basically, if you can imagine being in a really hot um, enclosed space wearing like rubber wrapped around your head, that's what it was like, the original you, respirators. And as you can imagine, that would be incredibly uncomfortable. Can you help me clarify respirator? Because whenever I, I when I hear the term respirator, I've always thought of like something mechanical that has some sort of mechanical Mm-mm. component to it. What is it? What does it mean a respirator? Uh, it has to do with just the ability of the um, mask to like redirect like i'm gonna get tell you what i'm gonna get into the actual way that n95 works and i think that will answer the question better um so they so the original like i said the original respirators were not um easy to wear and as a result were not worn all the time right if something is that bulky and uncomfortable you're gonna get a lot of people who aren't really compliant with Mm -hmm. it because they can't you know they're gonna maybe pass out because they're so hot So anyway, in 1970, the Bureau of Mines and the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health said we need to have some sort of single use respirator, something that isn't this big bulky head thing that you can just wear like a mask that will still protect you and filter out particles and all that kind of stuff, but won't make you pass out while you wear it. And that is uh, by 1972, they had created 3M had created the first um, single use N95 dust. It was for initially a dust respirator. Hmm. Um, and it is called that because it filters out 95% of particles that are 0.3 microns or smaller. Okay. Or larger. Sorry. 0.3 micro- microns or larger. Yeah. That's where the 95 comes from. Not very catchy still. N95. N95. It's easy to forget. Sounds intense. Yeah, it does. It sounds like this is the 95th one. We finally got right. Uh, the the original respirators before the N95 had had like fiberglass in them to, to use as like a filtering material. Mm-hmm. So instead they used these, um, basically it was like, they, it was described as like stiffer gift ribbons. And they had all these like, um, uh, it was like a melted polymer and they, it was, they created all these tiny little fibers. Like imagine little piles of sticks mm. is a good way to think about it. Um, and there's big spaces in between them. And as 
particles so that's in that mask between you and the outside world and as whatever the particles are whether we're talking about workplace exposures like silica or talking about coronavirus or any other sort of viral particle or germ um, as they pass through your mask into your face they have to go through all these sticks and they get stuck like kerplunk <laughs> it's just like kerplunk it's like playing kerplunk with with germs um in addition they also have an electrostatic charge that pulls things to them all these little sticks oh unlike so, kerplunk maybe right. and so this is why this is this is a respirator and not a mask okay all of this technology that i'm describing it's not just filtering no right uh and because there are all these but you can still breathe through it. I mean, that's the other thing, though. Like, something that it, that can stop that many particles, you run the risk of it not being breathable. Yeah, they messed that up for years, and it was a <laughs> tough time, I would say, for everybody. Well, the old respirators were, were almost impossible to breathe through. I mean, especially if it was hot and you were down in the mine for a long time. Yeah. So this really solved that problem. Um, and the other thing that was great about the N95 respirator is that the particles add to the filtering ability. Ooh, okay. So the longer you wear it, the better it works. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. That's so cool. To a point. Oh, of course. To a point. And I'm, so, I'm assuming there's not a little sticker that turns from green to red when that happens. No, no, there is no. Uh-uh. But, uh, but there, there is a point where it's got so many particles in it that, like, you can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. And then then it's bad then it's That's, bad even I mean, a layman can no, tell you it's not that work anymore um so like in a dusty environment it works for about eight hours you you could probably get more use out of it um in certain medical situations but generally speaking that's the recommendation which like you have to add up for yourself if you're going to reuse them mm. time how long were you wearing oh it right that right day so like half day yeah, yeah yeah and count up the hours and everything so that you, you keep track um so this technology existed the medical community in the 90s turned to this and said this is what we need mm -hmm. this would help us with tuberculosis we we would like to start using these masks and up until now this is the only context in which i wore an n95 mask what do you mean tuberculosis okay when i was introduced to the idea in medical school i was told you need an n95 respirator if you're caring for somebody with tuberculosis you'll almost never need one of these things but we're required to go through what's called a fit test where basically they take you to a room they put the mask on you there's like a little metal piece over the bridge of your nose that they have to like kind of flex where you can you know so that it, you, you want a tight seal. If sure. it doesn't have a tight seal to your face, it doesn't work. They don't work with beards either, right? Right. So facial hair is a huge problem, as you can imagine, to get a tight seal to the face. Um, so you put it on. You make sure it's adjusted properly. you got a tight seal. And then you can spray something in the room, like something that smells bad, and see mm -hmm. if you smell it. And if you don't, then it worked. Great. It's a fit test. Cool. So that was part of everybody, I think, in any kind of, not just in med school, but if you're going to do any sort of like clinical medicine of any kind, whether, you know, doctor, nurse, respiratory therapist, everybody, you would have to get one of the, you would have to do one of these fit tests so that you know how to properly do the mask. Right. Right. And to make sure that's also how they make sure the masks work. That's why there are only certain masks that are certified for this that can actually work like mm -hmm. and if they don't carry that seal of approval 
you can't be certain that they're going to work the way that they should. But these weren't something that you were putting on day in and day out. Almost never. I could count on one hand the number of times I had to wear one mm-hmm. uh, because we thought perhaps a patient had tuberculosis. And so when we cared for the patient, we had to wear one in the room. Um, so, even wh- when I cared for tuberculosis <clears throat> patients, when I've worked overseas, I didn't wear them regularly. They weren't available either, but I also didn't wear them. And I, I do not have TB. My PPD is still negative. Uh, why not wear them with, with every respiratory thing that you suspect? Because for the vast majority, they're not necessary. For the vast majority, your surgical mask is okay. You could get away with that. Um, and you also, of course, are going to wear other proper protective equipment, depending on you know, what room you're in and what you're doing. But for, for the majority, especially if you talk about like uh, in the OR... If you wear the surgical mask was really created to um, stop the doctor from infecting the patient. Right. Okay. And so you can if you are the one who is concerning to be the vector of disease, a surgical mask is fine. Okay. That that will that will hold in the vast majority. I'm not saying it's 100 percent, but it will work just fine for those purposes. Um, the N95 is not necessary for most cases like overkill yeah it's just it's just, i mean it's it's great when you need it but you don't need it most of the time mm-hmm. except and, and like you said it is important to note that um facial hair messes with them they're not really they don't work great for kids most of the time for most yeah. of us they work most of the time they're not for everybody there are there are some issues but now we need them a lot of them yes now we need a lot of them uh, all of our uh healthcare personnel that are caring for um, patients with coronavirus, with novel coronavirus, with COVID-19 need this. Um, you can put, like I said, a surgical mask on a patient. I've seen that recommendation a lot who is either a person under investigation or been diagnosed. You could put the surgical mask on the patient right away if you didn't have access to an N95 right away. And that is going to help, but it doesn't help if the patient needs an airway. If you're, you know, if you're going to be intubating a patient, then you can't you need protective protective equipment. Yeah. You, the medical professional, need protective equipment. Um, so now we need N95s. We need these respirators. Uh, they have. Uh, it, it's it's really weird because it, it was really something that I uh, I could count on one hand the time number of times I wore in the hospital yeah. up until now. Um, and now you need them. You like I said, you can reuse them, but you have to be really careful because the they are like if you walk into a room and are exposed to coronavirus particles on the exterior of your mask. Yeah, then it's bad. Well, now it is contaminated. And you can't then just wear that same mask into the next room with a different patient, especially what if they don't have it? Right, right, <laughs> You know, right. and more, more worryingly, if you go to remove that mask and you touch the surface of the mask. Oh, of course, yeah. That's a big problem with masks is not touching them because they don't work very well if... They're they're trapping viral particles on the outside, and then you're touching, touching them. the outside of that them, doesn't right. yeah that doesn't work. Um, so while they can be reused, it's ideal in an ideal world you wouldn't have to. And if you are going to reuse them, you have to put some sort of covering over the outside of it. So like you'll see, it's commonplace at least um, around here to put an N95 on and then put a um, surgical mask over top of it. Okay. Um, now you still should not wear it into another patient's room, ideally. I have read that across the country and across the world, people are doing that. 
because right. they have no well, other option. Of course. Like yeah. this is your mask for the week. Make it make it last. Um but ideally what you would do is if you're gonna reuse it, just reuse it for that one patient over and over again. But um I heard some people are and you did this, right? Like leaving their mask outside the patient's room or mm-hmm. whatever. In in a paper bag. Yeah. Uh again, if the mask is wet, it's not going to work, so don't, don't get it wet. Yeah, I mean, like if it's, gremlins. Well, if it's wet, you need a new one. <laughs> don't get it wet. Don't feed it after midnight. I don't even know how you do that. Honestly. Um, and then, of course, alongside the N95 respirator, now f- to properly protect yourself when caring for a patient who has coronavirus, you need gown, you need gloves, and you need some sort of eye protection. Ideally, those face shields. Have you seen those? Yeah. Those are the that that's the best. That's better with that, and an N95 underneath is much better. Um, goggles are all that was available when I was uh, recently working, and so goggles will help. But ideally, one of those face shields is better. Um, Let's keep course, from going in your tear ducts. Just any well anywhere in your eyes. Uh, sure, right. Yeah. Um, not just the tear ducts, but anywhere on your eyes. But especially the tear ducts, you'd think? <laughs> sure, especially the tear ducts. Thanks. And then, of course, hand washing, not touching your face, not touching the outside of your gown, your gloves, I mean, your your mask. There's a very specific way to don and doff personal protective equipment. And before, I mean, that's, that's important to know. Like, it's not something that you can just throw on and go in a room and be safe. You have to know how to put it on and take it off appropriately. Sure. Or else you'll end up accidentally infecting yourself or perhaps someone else. Um, the, uh, the cloth masks, that's a big question. A lot of people have asked about the homemade masks. Sure. Um, it's sort of, it's a double-edged sword. If you, if they're made effectively and used appropriately, there is a place for them. And certainly if we're not going to have enough standardized, you know, NIOSH certified N95 masks, we need something. Yeah. And I've seen recommendations out there like, well, you can just use a bandana. Well, no, that's Mm. not. (laughs) that's that's barely effective at all so these masks are definitely better than that um homemade masks there's just there are ways to make them i've seen a lot of people including or using like filtering material which is way better than just like a piece of cotton right right um and so those are are better uh and the uh but the thing is like if you're gonna wear them again you cannot get them wet uh they uh need to be sterilized if you're going to reuse them some of them that are cloth can be like washed and sterilized and all that in between uses and so you would need to do that and completely dried out um and they certainly shouldn't be used to give you like a false sense of security right know that you're still at risk exactly and so if we're talking about as an adjunct for medical personnel who have no other options at that point and need something to keep them safe then this is great. And all the people who are making them, thank you. You're doing a huge service. Keep it up. Yes, we need these. However, if you're making one so that you can wear it, so you can go back out in public and (laughs) go hang out with friends or go not social distance because you think that you have this mask on and now, you know, now you're safe. No, that then they, then they would be giving you a false sense of security. No, yeah. you can't. They're not going to do that. You know what? Don't do it with even if you have an N95. Well, right? no. Well, you shouldn't be, right? You right. shouldn't be wearing a surgical mask. You shouldn't be wearing an N95. You should not be wearing those around just so that you can go, if you are a, a well person, just so that you can go be out in the world more. No. Healthcare workers need that equipment, not you. Stay home. That's the best thing you can do. Yes. Um. So, uh, 
I, you know, I think it's, I think it's a tough thing. I know a lot of doctors have said it shouldn't come to the point that we have to use homemade masks, but obviously it has come to that point in some parts of the country. Um, and they're definitely better than trash bags and bandanas, yeah. which are, which are also being used. Um, if they do keep you from cover, touching the outside of your mask, that's the other thing I thought they would very, be very helpful for. Sure. You won't accidentally grab the front of your N95 if you've got that barrier there. The other thing, though, is just stay home. <laughs> yeah. That's for everybody else who's not a healthcare worker or an essential, doesn't have an essential business that they have to work at. Just stay home. Yeah, please. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about, uh, you know, I'm, of course a little bit biased here because i'm care very much about one particular healthcare worker um but um you know they're doing their best and it's bad in some places and it will will get worse so do the the do what you can do do this thing that you can do um if possible please Mm -hmm. yes so you stay home and let the healthcare workers wear the masks so that they have them when they need them so they can take care of and if you know any everybody lo- else who's sick, I've been driving around like when I'll go to pick up like groceries or dinner or whatever on my on my essential trips that I'm uh, <laughs> where I'm sterilized and just gargling hand sanitizer. No, we don't have hand sanitizer. That would be good though. Right. Uh, we um, do wash our hands. Wash yes, your hands. Yes, twenty seconds. Um, uh, uh, C- uh, Cindy's mom got us one pack of um, Clorox wipes that she used to disinfect after the hospital. Those are pretty intense. <laughs> Those are like. Those are not made for your no, skin. They are not for skin. <laughs> they are. Those were for uh, my phone and my watch, and um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that is what those were for when yeah. I when I came to the door, and then I would wipe down the door handle. Yeah, um, but I, I see, like, I still see some local dummies like hanging around, especially like teens and twenty year olds. If you know any local dummies in your neck of the woods, tell them to like just take it seriously, please. Just yeah, to, I feel like if everyone could reach out to one local dummy, then we could we could get to a lot of them. I would not call them that though. If you're going to reach out, um, there's probably I would say the more effective way is to oh. say, "Hey, I'm concerned that you're dumb. No, that uh. that your you your behavior may end up in you getting sick or somebody you care about getting sick, and." You know, could I help? Is there anything, you know, is there a reason why you need to be out now? Maybe there's an errand you need. Maybe you need food or something and I could help with that. And, you know, let's let's talk about this from six feet away. I've resorted. Or even better, like, could we talk on the phone about it? Could I now that I've insulted you, could I have your number so I can call you from the safety of my home and discuss with you why you shouldn't be doing this? I've resorted to just shouting out the window. Six feet. (laughs) Six feet. Come on. Please. 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 I, I would not advocate calling the police. I've seen that advocated. <laughs> I would not. Um, I would not advocate that. There's a, there's a lot of other issues, I think, with mm-hmm. that using that as like your... Just paintball guns, folks. No, no. I'm kidding. Is this a joke, Sid? Sheesh. Why you're so mad. Think you're serious. I'm gonna... I don't know. I mean, the best you can do is just remind people that like, you're not a bad person. You care about others. Just do just, this. You know, it's I know about, you're not about, I know you're not thing. doing this because you are malicious and wish harm and you probably don't think this is a big deal, but it is. 
And I, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say, I know you're a good person who wants to do the right thing. And so let me just encourage you. Yeah. Um, folks, that is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the taxpayers for these that are selling medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Um, we are going to be uh, next, uh, let's see, or actually, I guess, well, this coming Friday, next Friday, I don't know when exactly you're listening to this, but it will be on um, April the 3rd from 11, 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, my brother Travis is doing a Cincinnati Underground Secret Society show uh, to raise money for uh, uh, equipment for healthcare workers responding to COVID-19. Tickets start at $5 and are available at bit.ly forward slash C-U-S-S live. Bit.ly forward slash C-U-S-S live. Sydney and I will be on that stream at some point. We hope you'll join us in in raising some cash. Yeah. And thank you, everybody out there for um, staying home and staying safe and washing mm-hmm. your hands mm-hmm. and being good, good believers in science. Stay, stay hopeful. <laughs> stay home. That is going to do it for knowers us for this in week. Science, not believers. Knowers. Knowers. Yeah. Not as catchy. That's going to do it for us for this week. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.